that's providentially down through the ages of time preserved for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through the end of the chapter. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth, amen. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, amen, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we again are so thankful as we are gathered here together this morning to have your holy words that just sang a sweet melody into our ears. Father, we thank you that you have preserved it, that you have indeed led men to write it down. You inspired them, each word, every syllable, every vowel, every consonant. Everything that we have contained here is indeed the words that you have given to us, and we thank you for that. We thank you that they are powerful, that they are indeed able to divide soul and spirit asunder, that they will go down even into the hearts and even the intent of the thought. And Father, we're thankful for that this morning, that your word is indeed powerful. And as the Spirit of God this morning applies that to each of us, to each of the hearts, for the believer this morning, those who have trusted in Christ, it will be edifying to them, we pray. And Father, this morning as there may be lost sheep sitting amongst us this morning. We pray that it will do to them what it's done to everyone who's ever believed. And that is it sinks deep down into that heart, into that mind, and it convicts them of their sin. The spirit opens their eyes, the stony heart's taken out, the mind that's at enmity against you is removed, and they're able to think rightly concerning who the Lord Jesus Christ is and it is then that the Father, of course, draws them onto the cross and they believe. They look and they see Jesus Christ, who he is, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior, the only Savior and King. And Father, we pray for them as well. Now, Father, we pray as the preacher comes, you give him great boldness to preach unfettered. Preach the word, be in season, instant in season and out of season. Father, again, we thank you and pray all these things in the name the Bible says that is above every name. 
The name, the Bible says that the demons, when they hear it, they shudder. The name that every knee will indeed bow to, the name that every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. That glorious, holy name, the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. All right, maybe see you. Morning, everybody. One of those mornings, dry throat. Well, I was thinking, it's so interesting that that last song we sung, in a way, goes really good with what we were to talk. Actually, it always goes good with Scripture. Because, you know, when we think, turn your eyes upon Jesus, a lot of times we might, you know, might think, that doesn't mean uh, just blindly try to picture what Christ looked like or anything, right? What does it mean? You turn your eyes upon the person and the finished work that he's accomplished and what he's promised to accomplish and fulfill in our lives. That's when this world, the things of this world, grow strangely dim. Because we realized that there's an eternity there's an eternal, there's eternal things that are much more weighty than anything in this world. Anyway, so I wanted to, you know, preach and I, I labeled, I labeled it safe and secure in Christ. And I can guarantee there, I'm not going to go through your 28 to 39. I, I'd like to, but I don't think we want to be here to 6 p.m. Because literally, give it a good treatment, you'd have to give it several hours. You know, maybe finish it up by five. But we need to understand that when he comes through 28, and especially talking about it all good things, the rest is all of that because of all those good things. What those good things are, and because of all that, it kicks off, what then can we say to these things? And then he mentions, because of all this, we have nothing to fear. We're safe and secure in Christ. That's what it's all about. If we go back quickly to Romans 8.1, he starts there off after talking so much about, you know, now he realizes in himself, it's not his own power, but with God in him, and he's given, he's given him a desire to serve him, and he thanks God for that. But he starts off, because of what Christ has done, because of Christ, because he knows he is in Christ, just as he's been preaching throughout Romans, which is such a great, great work. But, you know, all the Bible is, but really, really it is a deeply theological book, which covers all the fundamentals. But you notice he starts off in chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no, new, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What he means by that is there is therefore why? Because you are in Christ, because of what Christ has done, I won't go into that, like, like I said, this, you know, I, I, I decided since I don't have the time where I can't go through all of Romans here, but I always suggest, if you haven't read it lately, read it, read it again, because it really, and we'll be looking at that just in the short, short, half of chapter 8, which we're going to go through over the, the next, uh, you know, several months when I preach and that, it is so deep. It is so deep. But when he talks, why? Because we're in him. 
We've been saved. We're in him. We believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and his finished work has accomplished everything concerning our salvation. And therefore, he knows he can assuredly say there's no condemnation for those that are his. And when he says not walking to the flesh, let's go to verse 9 real quick in chapter 8. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. I say that to say this. There's those that say there's something beyond being saved. There's those that are saved that have this, that have a special gifting, a special gift, a special spirit or something, a second blessing or something. So there's carnal Christians and spiritual Christians. No, he says there's Christians who all have the spirit in them. They've all been born of the spirit. And there's everyone else. They don't have the spirit. They're not Christ. They're not his. They're not our brethren. And that's simply what it means to walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Right? You can call yourself, but if you are born of the spirit and you have him, you are his and you're safe and secure. You will not come under condemnation. You pass from death to life. Well, let us start, start reading in verse 28. Well, first I'll read in 26, 27, because, well, let me go back. We need to understand what he's talking when he says all good things. And what that's in reference to. So we just go back without reading everything itself. Go back to verse 16. The Spirit itself, talk with the Holy Spirit, amen, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Right? And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And he says, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So he's speaking there, the Spirit's working within us, right? And we're children, and we are children, and we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, right? For Verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so he said, we can expect suffering, what it is, putting down, right? Going against the world, going against the desires and the lust of our flesh, Right? going after Christ, walking with Christ, right? There will be suffering, and he's disciplining us, and he's bringing us to conformity with his son. And that's what he's all talking about, the suffering there, right? With the glory which shall be revealed in us, which he gets to, we'll look at that in verse 30, right? There are ultimate glory. We will be with him forever. That day will come when we'll be clothed on high, and we'll be glorified. So don't worry about whatever we're going through right now. Focus on the eternal things and the things to come. We have a great and glorious future, and that's secured. But the manifestation of the subject of God, just drop down to verse 28, and not only they, verse 23, I mean, and not only they, talk with creation and the creatures, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, so we've been born of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. There will come a time when we'll receive our final glorification, our ultimate glorification, that the whole mystery and the act of salvation becomes complete, right? Our entire soul, body, and spirit, right? We'll be clothed on high. That's what he's getting to. There's a great glory awaiting us. So keep that in mind and help that as we walk through this world. As we walk through this world and day by day, keep those things in mind, those great truths. 
For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For when a man see it, what is he a hope for, right? And that's what we call it, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What do we hope? Because the Spirit inside us bears witness that we are children of God. In this word, we believe and we know the truth and we know what Christ has done for us. So we don't see God. We don't see Christ, right? But we know through this word and the Spirit within us, we know all the things that he's done for us, all the promises he said are yes and amen. So we, we can see on that, is there sure hope? Verse 26, and I'm leading into this, I'm just laying this groundwork. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And I'll read 27 along with it before I comment again. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, right, the Spirit, maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Say all that, 26 and 27. It doesn't mean, right, that we're, we're open our mouths and pray out some unintelligible thing with some heavenly spiritual language. Divine articulation between the Godhead. That's what it's talking about there. We can rest assured, right? We don't always know what's best for us. We don't, we, I guarantee you, right? If you, if we, we a lot of times don't know. We might want to do this or that or that. God is working out his good work according to his will. He's bringing about, he has purpose to save us. He's purposed to conform us to the image of his son. And we can rest assured that will happen. Because the Holy Spirit himself, which is inside of us, those of us that have trusted in him and have been born of the Spirit, because all that we truly have trusted in him come to saving faith, we've all been born of the Spirit. We can rest assured that he gives assurance here that not only the Word, but the Holy Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit is there seen for us in praying out the will of God in our lives, communicating with, we don't understand exactly how that works, but we're assured of it that it is. So we can assure that, and we'll get on, we'll, we'll get on to that looking at that, but it, we, may, we may make mistakes, and we do. We may stumble, and we do. You know, we may move to here, we may come across this, this might happen to us. But all those things we can rest assured because God has his promises, and he's given us his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit himself is interceding on our behalf. That the, that the promises, all the promises of God be carried out in our lives. Imagine that we, don't, we do not have to depend on ourselves. It's not dependent upon us. It will be conformed to the image of Christ. We participate in that, but it's all, in the end, the power and grace of God in our lives. Okay. Get into that because I laid, I'll say all of that, lay the groundwork, and you see what he's talking about there. He's talking about the work of God in our lives to bring us about, to bring us unto adoption, to bring us unto glorification, right? And that's why he says, in, starting in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and we love him because he first loved us. Amen. We talk with all the time.
And if you just go back to make a quick note, right, not everyone loves God. In fact, it takes a supernatural work of God in our lives to turn us, because what does he tell us if he went back to Romans 1 through 3, actually Romans 1 through 5, all of it, that apart from the grace of God in our lives and until the Spirit comes upon us and calls us and regenerates, we're his enemies, we hate him, we will not seek him. If you hear somebody talk about seekers, if someone is truly seeking the one true God and seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, right, they are regenerated, they're called of God in that, because the scriptures plainly say, right, none seek after God. None are righteous, right? But they are enemies of God. We are haters of God. So something has happened here. There's a qualifier here, right? We know that it's to them that love God. And it, of course, because he first loved us. But listen, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And understand, it's not everyone. What we know is that all things what things? All the things, first of all, the sufferings that he talks about earlier in the chapter that I just read up, the sufferings, the adversities, the work of the Spirit in our life, everything, we can rest assured all those things are working out for our good to bring about the purpose of God in our lives, which is to conform us to the image of his Son, his ultimate purpose, to conform us to the image of his Son, right? Because... We're adopted into his family. He, his purpose is to bring about that in our lives. Now, verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay. Here's where, you know, we get into, uh, let's just say, uh, disagreement with some of our brothers that, for some reason, here comes in the doctrine of election. The doctrine of, right, what is he saying here? Some will say, for whom he did foreknow, and they'll say, well, he just looked down the, he just looked down the pattern of time, and he saw all the people that would uh, believe on his son, and therefore, you know, he, he knew them, right? So he foreknew them, so therefore then he did predestinate then we conformed to the image of his son. Well, we got to ask ourselves a couple of questions. First of all, we'll get into scripture too, but also we're never to divorce scripture from other scripture. All scriptures are intertwined. Second thing, scripture gives us reason, right? Reverend, our mind's renewed. So God never says to divorce logic from his word. So since he foreknows everything, he knows, it, it's just simply meaning that because he knows it's going to happen, well, then you have to ask yourself, since for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Did he predestinate everybody all, ever born to be predestinated to the image of his son? To be confirmed to the image of his son? I mean, in a sense, if you carry it out to its ultimate thing, if all that means is him knowing what's going to happen in the future, then what he's saying right here is everyone's destined to be conformed to the image of his son. Hitler, Mao Zedong, Nero, Genghis Khan, they, they all are conformed to the image of his son, according to the way they look at it, because along to that, we, we need to understand that that word, that word for no, here's what, it actually 
means. And, you know, foreknow means to know, to know because he decreed it, because he ordained it. It's something ordained, there so he foreknew them. And I, excuse me, okay, I lost my place then. Okay, foreknow. Knew before because he ordained it. First of all, just go ahead to Romans 9.11, and we'll take a look at the usage of this, of, of, of this characterization elsewhere in Scripture. In Romans 9, verse 11, well, verse 10, if we understand, right? And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, talk about Jacob and Esau, right? Verse 11, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. So I want to say that, right? Election, calleth, purpose of God. Notice those three things in there when he talks about that, right, according to election might stand. Not it works, but him that calleth. Want, want us to go somewhere else? Go ahead to Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, starting in chapter 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid! For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture says of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved, so he has reserved, to myself, 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So we notice that, that you can call yourself Israel, and people in Israel, people who were Israelites in the flesh, many of them had gone away from God and are not serving him anymore. But what does he say, right? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who are still mine, who are still with me, who are still faithful. He did it. Verse 5, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And when he says he foreknew them, so what did he say? He wasn't talking of all of Israel, because a lot of them had deserted him. He was talking about among them, the 7,000 had not bowed to the image of Baal. And why? Because he had reserved them. He had kept them. He had called them. He had elected them. It says that according to his purpose, now, if you uh, go back to Acts 2, Acts chapter 2, say this again. I just say this because a lot of that, it, people misunderstand that, and they think, you know, when it's talking about, in places, God came about foreknowledge or foreknew that it's just simply talking about, well, God just looks ahead and knows the future. Well, I mean, of, of course he does. We also need to understand in his providence because he's decreed all the future. So, of course, he knows exactly what's going to happen. But, so, in Acts 2, <clears throat> speaking of Jesus Christ, verse 23, Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge 
of God. You have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. So let's look at that. So is he just talking about, well, God knew in advance it was going to happen? No, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. Counsel ordaining of God, right? God determined it to happen. He had decreed it to happen. It was going to happen. You know, all those men just didn't haphazardly, you know, you know, they keep talking about this free will. If one of them changed their mind, they could have found him not guilty. Could have not cursed from him. It was all determined, but in that same way, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So God determined it. He determined. He looked ahead. He saw it's going to happen. Okay, I'll determine that'll happen since I see it's going to happen. That doesn't even make any sense. No, it happened because he determined it was going to happen. And therefore, that goes on with his foreknowledge, his determined counsel, his ordination, his ordination of things. <clears throat> Go to 1 Peter 1. I want to see that the scriptures are never, leave us in the dark about this. We can't divorce or read scripture to our liking. You know, we have to, you know, that's why we're told to, you know, you know, be all the counsel of God. And when Paul told the people before he left them, told all the Ephesian elders and that, I, you know, I have delivered unto you all the counsel of God. That's what he's talking about, because we need all the counsel on that. Because we were just talking this morning, talking about the history of the church. We need to keep in mind that a lot of those people, they, they didn't have all the scriptures before them like we do now. There's no excuse, but we need to let scripture interpret scripture, and we need to see we can't just go on and say something that doesn't, that isn't logically flows with the rest of scripture. But First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And so, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So again, that foreknowledge means much more. It doesn't mean he looks down the corridor of time and he sees what's happening, what's going to happen. Right? It's obvious, right? Elect according to his foreknowledge, according to his determination, you know, his will, right? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied. You know, I just wanted to go, you know, there's other ones too, but those are so good there that we need to understand how foreknowledge is mixed in and mentioned there. With his will, according to his will, according to his purpose, according to his election. Right? He didn't see something was going to happen. And then that, what other people did, that shaped God's decree? I mean, that's literally, if you, if you think of it that way, ultimately that's what you have to say, that man has actually determined what has happened to him. Man has actually moved God to act instead of God being in charge of man. It, it ultimately, that's where it leads out. Because it's obviously when it's talking about foreknowledge there, it means because God has decreed, God has purposed. When God purposes a certain thing to happen, it happens. Man, right? He, he, controls, he controls all things. We have to do that. And it, it's amazing that we think one thing, if he controls all things, we, 
we have to we have to also submit to the fact that he obviously controls salvation also. But when we read it that way, when we understand for whom he did foreknow, right? For those that he ordained, for those that he chose, he also did predestinate. Right? He also did predestinate, right? To determine before to ordain. Again, that's what it simply means. To determine before. So he so those that he foreknows, right? Is it that, that he looked in advance? We're gonna, it, it's just so important. Go to Ephesians chapter one. And again, you know, we just let scripture interpret scripture, right? Go to Ephesians chapter one. And again, you know, let's talk. We just let scripture interpret scripture. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse number, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because it's according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have attained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. There's a lot of those same words again as we are looking up and going through the scripture about foreknowledge. The purpose of his own will, his own purpose, his own good purpose, his own counsel, his own predetermined plan. And before any life even existed, before the foundation of the world, he had already predetermined who would become to Christ, who would be saved in him. <clears throat> you know, I've written here, it's, just, it's so amazing, but we, as believers, have so much, actually, there's one more thing on that, now that I said I put my glasses on because I wrote it there, but you just also look at, right, he goes on, and what's the ultimate thing? 12 through 14 also. <laughs> that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with this Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of his glory. I wanted to read that because it'll go along, it, it, it goes along with this chapter so well. Right? 
We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise once we believe. Again, all guarantees by his. Again, going along with early in the chapter, the Spirit himself working within us, bringing about our conformity to the image of Christ. You know, helping with our sanctification. You know, it's, it's just, it's truly amazing. But we believers were chosen before the foundation of the world, predestined to be adopted. There's a real close word in there. We need to understand that word adoption. I talked to Mike because Mike and Wendy understand that word real well. And if there's any, those are out there, it's missing my mind right now, but I know there are people too. But really, if you have adopted children before, well, who chooses them? Does the child choose their adopted parents or do the parents choose the adopted child? The parents choose the child. We do not choose to become children of God. God is not obligated right, to give inheritance to anyone. right? But he adopts those that he chose, that he predetermined, that he foreknew before the foundation of the world to be his. And it has nothing to do, it has nothing to do with the individual. It has to do with God's good purpose for the praise of his glory. You know, when we read those words, adopt it, right? But you gotta understand that, right? Like, right, Mike and Wendy, they they chose to adopt Levi. They chose to adopt Selah. They chose to adopt. You adopt children, right? You choose the child. Understand that. You, you choose them. And when he chooses you, when you choose them, right, then the, the, they'll come. You know, that, the idea was, right, you're going to come. You have nobody. You're an orphan. You, you, you're over whatever you've been abandoned, whatever it is, right? You have no one. So, of course, you, you, you come to there. You're right. But you're adopted. You, you don't have control over it. The person choosing you has control over the adoption. <clears throat> we have, according to his good pleasure, we've been adopted and predestined before the foundation of the world. And according to his good pleasure, we've been accepted in the beloved. That's really important too, right? Accepted in the beloved according to his good pleasure. Accepted in the beloved, right? Because in the high priestly prayer, right? He loves us just as, as, just as he loves his own son. He purposed it according to his own will. We don't understand how those all work together because there's, there's a lot of ammunition here. So we already know that whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Verse 30. Moreover, right? And this isn't it. Moreover, on top of that, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So every person who he foreknew, he predestinated. Every single person who he predestinated, he called. And whom he called, them he also justified. Now that deal of being called, right, just simply means this. Yes, uh, invited, i.e., appointed. Not just invited, but yes, you, you have to be invited. But i.e., also appointed, bidden. You know, I bid you, come, right? Called forth. That's what it means. Now, does it just mean, for one, we have to ask ourselves, so is every single person predestined, foreknown, predestinated, and called? Right? Because he's making this an overwhelming statement here. Moreover, whom 
could write that you could really say whomsoever he did predestinate them all of them he also called and whom he called he doesn't say some of them will come maybe they will come they have the opportunity to come he says they will come whom he called them he also justified because so everyone he calls he justified and he's saying it in the past tense way because it's a decree. He understands God decrees it because God's sovereign over, over all things, including salvation. But he decreed it. But I'm looking at some of those things, right? Let's just look back for it. This is talked, it's a lot in, in Romans itself, but just go back to the beginning, Romans chapter 1. It's in verse 6, right? Among whom are ye also the called, oh, I'll go up to verse 5, right? By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Same thing, right? The bidden, the, the, you know, the, the, the bidden, the invited, the appointed. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go again to chapter 9, verse 24. <clears throat> well, and I'll just read this, right? That <laughs> Start out with verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel in honor and another in dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath, and he make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Then he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, or which he had ordained unto glory, or which he had predestinated unto glory, because he afore prepared them, remember, according to his purpose and, and will. Verse 24, even us, so all the brethren, all the ones in chapter 1 that he said, all those called to be saints, even us whom he hath called, not of Jews only, but also the Gentiles. He has called us, right, because he's going to make known unto us and pour upon us the riches of his glory. We'll be vessels of his mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Going to 1 Corinthians 1. This isn't a you know an, an unforeign theme, it's really that, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in 2. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Drop down to verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Go on to verse 24. Verse, I'll, I'll go up to verse 22 because he's tying it together. Well, in verse 21, For after them the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Right? It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And drop down to verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren. It's his calling, right? And they were all called. The brethren are also the called. You can't become a brother or sister. You're not one of the brethren unless you've been called. <clears throat> also go on to 1 Peter chapter 5. And what I'm doing is just showing that, right, it's not, you know, it's not just, you know, it, this is a doctrine that just came about out of uh, some whimsical thing in that, it just when you compare Scripture unto Scripture, I mean, you can, you know, we, we need to, you know, we can never divorce one part of Scripture from other parts of Scripture. But First Peter, chapter 5, <laughs> But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Amen. It's interesting there because just like he's talking in Romans 8, as a companion there, remember he was saying the sufferings are, of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. He's just saying there, yeah, and if you must suffer for Christ, right, happy are us. We can go that because all, all of that, right, is perfecting us and establishing us and strengthening us and settling us. All to bring about his purpose to conformity to Christ in our lives. And that's when I just go to Second Peter one. <laughs> According, well, first verse two: Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know, I talk with us all the time, right? Knowledge, and when we look upon the eyes of Jesus, right? Look into Scripture. Look who He is and what He has done and what they are doing right now. According to his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And last but not least, I'm not saying these are the only ones and that, these are just speaking directly to the point, but Jude 1, Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy and you, peace and love be multiplied. So again, you know, it just it, many times you're called, when they're writing to that, the saints are also the called, the brethren are the called. Those that are all, those that are in Christ are the called. We must be called, we must be invited, we must be bid. Another thing, there's so many things that go along this. Nothing at least, we've talked about this before in here, but if you would turn to chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. See how this goes together. And the reason I'm laying this down here is laying the groundwork of that is he, we call this a golden chain of redemption. And it is so vitally important, but we don't divorce it from the rest of chapter 8. He goes on because of everything that he's done, because of these promises, because of the golden chain of redemption. Because of the things that we're talking about right now, he goes on to finish out chapter 8. We are secure, safe and secure, in Christ, 
By the love of God, he loves us so much, we have nothing to fear. If we are in him, we can rest and assured because it was purposed before the foundation of the world that we'd be in him. And we purposed that we that Christ be formed in us and it'd be purposed that we were glorified. That we were called and we'd answered, okay. John chapter 6. But I'm going to kind of read this a little backwards. Where's my explanation? John chapter 6, starting, I'll just go on 64. Keep in mind what he's addressing here is here were these Jews this large group of Jews that had followed him, seen his miracles, he had told them who he was, he had preached to them, he had ministered unto them, but they did not believe that he was he, that he was the Christ, that he was the son of the living God. They did not believe. He's telling them why they didn't believe. But verses 64 of John 6, but there are some of you that believe not. <laughs> For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. He already knew the one who betrayed him, but also those that believed not. And that Judas ultimately in the end did not believe, not that savingly truly believe deep down that you, you, you thoroughly do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 65, And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Except it were given unto him of my Father. Remember the word given? Well, I'll say it's the same as that. Right? You can't come unless you're invited. Remember the parable? We won't turn there. Remember the parable about the wedding supper? And then the one that was found out that had no clothes, they found out he was never invited. He got kicked out. You're not supposed to be here. You weren't invited. You have to be invited. So it must be given unto him my Father. The Father must give him to Christ. You must be given to Christ before the foundation of the world in order to come to Christ. But I, I say that to go back. Now verse 65. Drop, go back to verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Right? Draw. Bid. Call. And I will raise him up at the last day. So there's the thing, right? No man can come to me, and if you do come to him, he's assuring he'll raise him up at the last day, which means he's assuring him of eternal life. Now, if you go back to verse 39, I'm doing some backwards for a reason. I think you'll see why. Verse 39, And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And so at the Father's will that all that he has given Christ come to him, and all that do come to him are given eternal life. Right? He'll raise them up the last day. That's what it means. They'll be given eternal life. Okay. Verse 37. Because everybody started it out before he went through all of that. Well, verse 36. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. Why? Right? What's the problem? Verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All. So we need to just understand that general call. It is true. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And that's true. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And that's the truth. It is also equally true that you will not sincerely call upon him. You will not sincerely believe on him unless you've been called, chosen, predestined, foreknown. Right? Because scriptures don't contradict one another. So it's just, right, if you call upon him. You have no idea who that is now. But, you know, I'm saying that because we can rest assured it was never in our power to begin with. We came to him because we were... We were foreknown of him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestinated that we to call us and to conform us to the image of his son. It's a sure thing. Once we come to him, if we have come to him, if we can look back and sincerely have, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he died for my sins, was dead, buried, rose again on the third day, ascended up into heaven, we are saved. You are born again. If you are have the, and you have the Spirit, and all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. And that's the point that he's making here. Since it's all in God's power, all God's work, the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf, leading us and guiding us, conforming us in his, in his image, in the image of the Son. Right? We can rest assured it will be accomplished. It will be accomplished because it's all God's work. Going back to Romans 8, finishing up here on this for, for today. <laughs> but Romans, back on Romans 8. So we already see there that moreover who we did predestinate, then we also called whom he called, them he also justified whom he justified, them he also glorified. No, it took a long time on this, but he already said, right, that it's a sure thing. We are foreknown, right, before the foundation of the world. We are predestinated, right? We are predestinated, predetermined. God predetermined that we would be confirmed in the image of his son. Moreover, since we, if we were predestinated, and it was God's determination, right, to conform us to the image of his son, he calls us. We saw through that, if you are called, according to that, all who he has given come to him. And that's, that's a doctrine of the irresistible call. You'll answer that call. Then he's justified. Because once we answer that call in Christ and believed on him, we're justified. And justified is like a courtroom setting. What it simply is, is, right, we were guilty. And our sentence was condemnation. But it's to render a verdict, to declare innocent, to declare righteous, justified. Right? And it's, it will we'll be a few minutes. So this is so important to finish it up. Go to Acts 13. First, I just want to go to Acts 13. In verse, starting in verse... 38, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, right, the Lord Jesus Christ, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So any and all sin that you couldn't be justified by the law of Moses, right, because one sin deserves death, you know, but... 
You can't be justified by it. But through faith in Christ, you are justified, declared righteous. Declared righteous before him. Okay. But going on from Acts 13, uh, we'll just go because Romans talks a lot about it. We'll just uh, read a little bit. Uh, go to Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And this is talking about those, uh, those of us who may think, like, we have some power, like, like somehow how we live our lives, and living a righteous life, and living a life according to the law, that in any way whatsoever, right, get, you know, brings about our salvation, as some would teach, that we also have work to do. Okay? Therefore, the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the laws and knowledge is sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, the righteousness of God, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Right? that he is the Son of God, and his finished work, laying down his life and dying for our sins, has paid the price, and believing in him, we are safe and secure. That's what he's saying there. When we believe on him, we are just before God and righteous before God. Verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So we're justified by faith in Christ, we're going to read a few more. Go on to Romans chapter 4, because this is an important thing. In Romans chapter 4, starting in verse, he's talking all about, you know, like Abraham's faith. You know, we talk about his great faith, and they all say, Father Abraham. Right? For if Abraham were justified by works, verse 2, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Just drop down to verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. What he's just simply saying there is Abraham was called righteous because he believed in the promises of God. Just like we are counted righteous if we have come to truly believe in Jesus Christ and the promises through him. Verse 6, even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And you don't have to turn there real quick, but just remember 2 Corinthians 5.22. What the great exchange. 
He made him to be sin. He put his sin upon Christ, God the Father. And what did he give us? He imputed the very righteousness of Christ unto us. So just as Christ, when the Father looks upon us, he, when we have, if we're in faith in Christ and the Spirit, we're his, he credits the righteousness of Christ unto each one of us. We are sinless. We are righteous. We are holy. In that sense, spiritually speaking, right? Because it is done. So you got to understand what he's saying there. But also look upon uh, Galatians 2. No, important because this is, this is so important, this idea of justification. And sometimes some people's misunderstandings of it. But justified is something that we are termed not guilty and credit with and credit with righteousness. They're both actually put together there. But Galatians two, chap, uh, <laughs> Galatians two chapter, Galatians two, uh, sixteen. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So in other words, just simply there, right, we are justified by faith in Christ. Going over to chapter 3, verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law, by following the law, right, in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Right, is our faith. And now what is our faith in? Our faith in Christ. If we have faith in Christ, a true, sincere, living faith, that, right, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, right, and that his work, it is finished, right, and he has paid for our sins, we are safe and secure in Christ. <clears throat> and finally, about justification, just go to Titus 3, 7. Not that it's the last word in Scripture, but Titus 3, verse 7, right? <clears throat> I'll just read it, right? But after, in verse, starting in verse 4 of chapter 3 of Titus, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man, of, man appeared, not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified. Current, right past tense, we are justified. If you're in Christ, you sit here justified before him and always will. By his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope. Of eternal life <clears throat> right so now we see how Romans 8 really comes and why it's called the golden chain of redemption right because those things that we link together there starting at 28 right what are all the things that work together for good to them that love God who are called according to his purpose right those all things working together, what he's talking about, all things work together for good, is not that we'll always be prosperous, not that we'll always be healthy, not that we'll always be powerful, not that we'll, everything's always going to go our way, but that all things that happen to us in this life are working out for our greater weight of glory. 
to accomplish the purpose of conforming us to the image of his son. And we can be so sure of that because he foreknew us, he did predestinate us to conform to the image of his son, and we're promised that whoever he did predestinate, and that's all that he foreknew and called, right? He calls all of them, and all of them he calls come to him, and we saw that, right? All who come to him are justified. Not, you know, will be. It's just because it's a done deal. He already knows. This is a done deal. All who have been foreknown by him and predestinated are called, and all who are called come to him. So since all of them do, they will all be justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And we talked about that. That's the utter, he, he talked about before, to bring about that, the glory that should be revealed into us. When we're clothed on high, our ultimate salvation, right? And we talked about that. Some people misuse where it says in Scripture, work out your own salvation with fear of trembling. And some will try to say, see, there's a possibility we could lose our salvation or it's not here yet. Well, our ultimate salvation, right? We don't see it yet. There's going to come a time we'll be glorified from on high that not only, but we will practically no more sin in our life, no more struggle with sin, no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow, glorified and with Christ forever. And with God and Christ forever. And that's what he's talking about, that all those, all of us who are sitting here and listening and watching today, if we believe right now in Christ or if you don't, if you are called, you will. <laughs> and we believe in Christ, his person and his finished work. We are promised justification, eternal life, and glorification with him in the future. It is done, as he said. And because of that, and this is where I will finish, <laughs> what verse 31 what shall we then say to these things, right? These things, right? That God is at work with us, bringing about his own good pleasure, right? The Spirit himself is interceding to bring out the purpose of God in our lives. He foreknows us. He's loved us. He's called us. He's promised Right? We are told here we are predestinated to be conformed. We are predestined to be saved. We are predestined to be glorified. Right? He called us we're, and we're justified. If we've come to him, we are justified. We'll be with him forever. Since we have all those promises and it's all his power, that's why we can say to these things, if God be for us, who can be against us. It doesn't mean, of course, we have people all over that are against us, right? The Satan, right? Prince of evil, principalities and powers that are under him. And literally, actually, though, they're under God, but he allows them to do their thing. The evil, they're against us. The world is against us. And a lot of times we're against ourselves. <laughs> we literally are. Unless I'm the only one, you ever done something and realize we go back and saying, oh, that, that, that wasn't a good idea? Or we stumble or we just make decisions or we do things, right? It's against us. That's why he said, we don't know always, always how we ought to pray. Back in verse 27, right? The Spirit himself intercedes for us. It doesn't mean we're ecstatically. Right? The Spirit is praying for us. 
Right? It said, Holy Spirit, we don't understand that, but the Godhead, right? Always, eternally, working out their perfect purpose in our lives. So we can rest assured, if God before us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? And we'll look at that next month when I come before you, but who can be against us? That has a legitimate charge that can stop the work that God has started and promised to accomplish. What he's saying there, no one can against us. No one can stop that. Because no one can stand against God. So, with that, we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your, for your great gift of salvation, for your work, you know, the Spirit's work in our lives, conforming us into the image of your Son. You have promised us, you have done so much in our lives, you bless us every single day, but overall, you have given us such great precious promises of our security in you, realizing that it's all of you, May each one of us, Lord, help each one of us understand that to the best of our ability so that we could rest in Christ. Realizing that it has been accomplished. We can have that joy unspeakable and full of glory. We can, you know, to say, relax, knowing that it, you know, as I said before, it is done. That it is finished, that we have rest in you, and that you will carry out your good work, that through all the adversities in our lives, when you say all things, you mean all things. All adversities that come into our lives. Even when we stumble, you use that for our good. You think of Psalm 119. You had David write that, and he wrote it after the work you had done in his life after you drew him to repentance for the sin he had committed. You didn't cause him to sin. He sinned because he was drawn away from his own desires, but you even used that sin in your child's life to work out your good pleasure in his life. And now you've given a... And that's many, many psalms. They're like that. It's just amazing that we can rest and realize that you will perform your promises in our lives. You will bring about our glorification. You will bring about the conform, our conformity to your Son.